0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710
1: Sports app and 710sports.com.
0: Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It is Danny and Gallant. It is the second half of July. It's Friday. It's July 16th. And yesterday, Richard Sherman was released from King County Jail. He was released without posting bail. The judge making an acknowledgement and recognizing his role here in the community and as a as a father, he is scheduled back in court this morning. And we've gotten a few more details. There is a video that was posted, I, I believe, first of Como of Richard Sherman. It looks like it's from a security camera or a door camera showing him at the at the doorstep of his in-laws' house. This would be after the crash that he's suspected to have been involved in, Paul. And I think it shows maybe for the first time we saw and have heard how concerned his wife was now seeing the level of I mean, there's no other way to say it aggression from sherm as he was at his in-laws house
1: right uh, it's incredible what ashley his wife has been able to do i guess in terms of composing herself when talking about this publicly because if you actually watch the video of richard sherman trying to break into this home it's it's pretty scary here is actually the audio of it to provide a little context use your imagination here How do you respond to that other than just say, wow, that, that's terrifying. If you're in that situation, I mean, what do you think is going to happen to a six foot three, 200-pound NFL player who has clearly had a couple of bottles of liquor based off of the 911 calls that we heard, and he's trying to force his way in? And I assume the um, father of his wife, I'm guessing the name Ray, in that situation, seems like there's some sort of confrontation that was that Richard Sherman was trying to create there. He was totally out of control. And I think that
0: speaks for what happened the whole evening. I think the point to start with is how happy I am that no one was hurt. It's America. Right? And that's not to understate or mitigate any of the the seriousness of what happened. But you see at a couple different points how close to – tragic this could have been or how much worse that this could have been you had a a car crash at a construction site in an active construction zone Mm -hmm. when you see the video and you realize how hard he hit the door and i i've never been in that situation in which it's a locked door separating me from someone who is potentially going to do harm to me or my family but i can't imagine how terrifying that part must have been and what would have been happening it's not i mean Richard Sherman clearly wasn't in his right state of mind, and of all the different things that come out, I love Richard Sherman. I loved covering him as a player. I think he is an extraordinarily unique, and I I care a lot about Richard Sherman as the person. I really do. I really like him. Everything that's happened over the course that we've learned about this night shows me that there is reason to be deeply concerned about where things are at right now. And he's, I I am concerned about his mental health and all the other things that people are talking about. I'm also concerned and more concerned about the people that are close to him having to deal with being unable to stop him from several episodes of really dangerous, aggressive, the, the decision to drive after they were trying to stop him from driving the decision to, to leave the scene of an accident to go to his in-laws house, like all of these things. And he'll be back in, in front of a judge this morning that the 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 real concern that I have that the victim is not Richard Sherman here. The victim is the the people that are around him and are trying to hopefully get him to see that right. th- that can't ever happen again because of how clearly dangerous it
1: was. He is responsible for not only a, uh, a list of things that he will likely face some sort of discipline for, how deep that is, doesn't seem like it will be as deep as we maybe thought, because it sounds like right now, at the very least, there's only some misdemeanor charges that he is facing. We'll see, though, as, of course, time progresses. But he put his family squarely in the limelight with his own out-of-control actions in this. And while we all hope that he's able to turn this around and figure it out, he is also definitely the one that needs to share in all of the blame for the way that things went down. It's not
0: just the spotlight, too, right? It put them in danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, put them in physical danger, family members, and not just family members, because then there's construction people. And I, I, as, as we've learned more about it, and over the course of three days, understanding what happened, I, I think that in these situations, it's important to sort of prioritize what you want. is. The first thing you want to make sure is that the people who are in danger are kept safe. We know that there was an an extreme protection order that was placed before any of this incident, right, where Richard Sherman wasn't allowed to have firearms. We don't know the reason for that, but it's clear that there was a a pre-existing concern. The people that are around him, you want to keep them from – make sure they're safe and then keep them from facing danger again. And then you get to, to Richard Sherman and to make sure that he doesn't ever, ever do something like this again or that and it's not even this is a warning call or wake-up call or anything else there's a serious problem here like something the 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 series of of actions and decisions that led to this point to the fact that there is a really serious problem not mentioned a concern for his own safety or the possibility that he'll harm himself all of those things and I, I find myself I'm not I don't have a question about what this means for his football future or in the media yet because I think that's two or three steps down the road of making sure that the people around him are safe and then making sure that he's he's safe and that he's making good decisions for himself.
1: He clearly has a group of people around him who have been concerned about him for some time. We heard that from Ian Rappaport yesterday. We also saw that there had been, interestingly, an uh, emergency risk protection order against Sherman earlier this year that barred him from possessing firearms And it was sealed by a superior court judge, so the details are unknown. But there has been some concern about him for a while. And maybe this is that moment where he can look at himself in the mirror and say, I have to take this on myself, but he has to do that. He has to be the one willing to do that. And also, I mean, I would imagine he has a lot of apologies to give to everyone who he put into this situation. And it's his own family, his own blood. And it, it starts,
0: it's not even about the apologies, right? It's about him not putting people in that sort of danger again. I've got a text here from the 425. Sherm is obviously in crisis. Give the man a break. I, I I get that. I would agree with the assessment of, like, it's clear that there is a crisis. If this isn't a crisis, I I, I shudder to think at the at the real depth of the situation. That second part about giving the man a break, I could see the argument that this would be easier to handle if it's not in the public limelight. The other part, though, is that Richard Sherman has, over the course of his career, made sure that the limelight is trained on him. And the, the result is that people really do care about him. This isn't, this isn't someone like, and I come to this not as someone who is in any way anything other than concerned about the person. Really, like, honestly, and concerned most about the people around him. But that that fact of, I don't know if a someone in crisis being left alone is the best course of getting that addressed and not talking about it and saying, hey, I'm sure that he'll handle that. We just should move on and look at something else. I honestly don't know if that is the, the, the best overall process. And Sherman means a great deal to the city of Seattle. Like, he is responsible for the single most important play, in, in the franchise's history, in getting them to that Super Bowl that they then won. People care about him. And it's it's jarring to see the sequence of events and understand the whole gravity of what happened, that this isn't just a decision to drive drunk, that this isn't just a decision that he's upset with family members. I mean, the whole chain of events that led to this, you're like, oh my God, this is horrible, and I hope this never, ever happens again.
1: Right, right. One person says, it was a one-night drunken crap show. Get over it. This person's been angry at us all morning since we started talking about this. To them, I would say, well, I mean, this could have been a series of them before. It could have been a series of them afterwards if people were not involved in the way that they did. And the person who said, give him a break, I mean, he got a break. The break was that no one got hurt. He drove into an active construction zone while drunk. You know, I mean, someone, a a worker completely innocent of this entire situation, removed from the entire situation, could have been killed because he was mad about something going on in his personal life, let alone. I mean, do you think that he really wanted to, at the end of the day, get into that kind of a confrontation with the father of his wife or to make perhaps his children who I would who knows if they were there or not, but to to have his children see this video after the fact, too, and what they are probably going to be wondering about their future as far as just, you know, the. Stability of their home. I mean, they're, I think, old enough to, at the very least, see this and be like, what, what the heck's going on here with a rational mind. So he did get a break. I mean, <laughs> this could have been a lot worse, and and I'm very thankful that it wasn't because, as you said, he, he means a huge deal to this city. It's Danny and Gallant uh, We'll have a lot to get through.
0: We're going to have a series of midseason awards for your Seattle Mariners who are back on the field tonight, taking on the Los Angeles Angels. Right now, it's time for front page news. This this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they
1: matter. Every morning at 7:10. Get what you need to know to start your day right now. A lot of people know me as probably the most professional broadcaster in the entire United States of America. And yesterday I, I had a question for Jerry DePoto: Hey, uh, Jer Bear, what's going on when it comes to Jared Kelnick? Is he going to be back with the Mariners on Friday? You will. Yes. Yes. Let's go. That was an easy
0: answer, huh?
1: Part two. Hopefully, this time it works. As the Mariners kick off the second half of the season against the Los Angeles Angels tonight. at it- 6.38, what a weird time to start the game. Chris Flexen's on the hill against Andrew Haney.
0: This won't have the same luster as his debut, but it might be more important for Jared Kelnick. No, it is more important for Jared Kelnick. Right, he's at his first taste. He He's bringing, he's toting, what's the slump that he's toting into this? Is it 0 for 38? 39. 0 for 39? Ugh. This this run is more important this run is more important. He's gotten a chance to regain some of his confidence and his rhythm, and let's see how he deals with it this time around.
1: I choose to say that the slump is over because he went to Tacoma and he got hits there. So, if we were to, I don't know, pool together, is how many, what's the AAA to uh, major league conversion rate for hits? <laughs> is it like 30 hits for one major, 30 hits in AAA for one major league hit? I will choose to say that, and we're just gonna move on and pretend like the slump is over the front page.
0: Hey, you want to hear what's shocking? Hector Santiago, who had the glove with the sticky stuff on it that they sent to New York then didn't look at and suspended him. He had he had his appeal heard. We still don't know if Major League Baseball took a look at the glove, but we know that Rob Manfred in his wisdom has decided well, this 10-game suspension is going to stick. So, uh what are we 3 weeks into this new enforcement of the rules? The the guy the one guy that's been punished is a guy who doesn't throw curveballs, who wouldn't rely upon spin rate. Hey,
1: come on! I thought this was America. Clearly, it's not. Clearly, we live in Soviet Russia in Major League Baseball. With we Rob... gotta
0: come up with a nickname for for Manfred. Hmm.
1: Is is he is he knockoff
0: Roger Goodell?
1: More like wrong Manfred. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, at the top of my head, I I, I don't know. We're gonna to, we're gonna have to think about this one. The Manfred? No, because no, that implies like he knows what he's doing, doesn't it? I mean, the man, just that part of it, and and he is he is definitely not someone who's in complete man control. feared. No one fears Manfred, <laughs> you know. Like that, that's the problem. It's it's hard because you have to be someone I think insulting with the name, the redheaded hammer. Listen, for all the dislike <laughs> of Roger Goodell, that guy, that guy is authoritative. It's true, and he, he, you know that
0: he's compensating, and that he's, he's kind of trying <laughs> to exert authority. Like Rob, uh, that it's true. If man you have got a suggestion, man fraud's pretty good. The man fraud, the Rob man fraud. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good suggestion. That is front page news. It's time for the us to get spread. to the morning. The, no, we're not doing that. That was a uh, No, no, we're not doing <laughs> that. Uh, it's time for us to get in the car with the professor for the morning commute. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant.
2: It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL NFL. from the professor John John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football.
1: It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny Danny and Gallant. Gallant. Uh! Professor, now that we're aware of some of the charges against Richard Sherman, at least for now, second degree criminal trespass, third degree malicious mischief for the attempted break-in, and there's probable cause that Sherman resisted arrest, probable cause that Sherman drove while intoxicated, if he were to be back in the NFL this year, which does seem unlikely at this point in time, what kind of a suspension do you think he would be facing from the Redheaded Hammer, Roger Goodell?
2: Uh, pro- I would have to think probably uh, two to four games, maybe. I don't think it's going to be like a full season or anything like that, because you know, I guess you know they they dropped the charges from felonies to misdemeanors. You know that has to be a significant thing, but I think obviously the biggest thing for uh, Richard Sherman is trying to get his life in order and get his life straight, because the fact that you can see that. I mean, we we, we didn't realize he's been a mess this entire offseason I mean it's I don't know if it started this way but we know back in February there was some kind of a uh, order against him that he couldn't be near guns we now find out that uh, during the course of this past offseason you know Former teammates have been going over to his house to try to, you know, get him in a very better state as far as his mental state, and uh, that apparently didn't work. Then we find out that uh, certainly on Tuesday night he goes out and, you know, along with drinking uh, two bottles of a uh, hard liquor, I mean, he was taking antidepressants at the time, and so it's like uh, th- this is just horrible. To a point where his wife, who's very supportive of him, you know, ended up, you know, having to call police and call 911 with a bad dispatch person, and uh, you know, basically say, "Hey, my husband is doing this and this and this. He's thinking that, uh, you know, he's off, saying that he's going to commit suicide and everything else." And again, you know how personally involved I am in him because, again, I mean, he's probably one of the best players I've ever dealt with. I mean, a player that, uh, you know, I ask for. And he received the ability to do this when I got the uh, you know, Keith Jackson award to make my presentation. And so it's like, I'm just so saddened by this whole thing. And so clearly, I mean, his football part of it is not going to be as bad as his life part of it. And he's got to take care of the life part. It's well
0: said, John, he, d- he does need to take care of the life part in different news. Tom Brady's been reported to have played this entire last season with a torn MCL. Which sounds like he must be a fairly tough individual if we didn't already uh-huh. know that.
2: No question about it. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, we realized in the first half of the season, you know, we thought that, uh, and probably rightfully so, he struggled trying to pick up the offense because, you know, he didn't seem to do as much as you would think he would, even though he had, you know, one of the best. Uh, wide receiver tandems in football and two really good tight ends and it took him half the season to kind of overcome that once he was able to do that pick up the offense you know he was unbeatable and so to think that he's gone the entire season with a fully torn MCL is just incredible now we know it's like it's not like he's going to be mobile because he's never going to be mobile he never I mean when he was uh coming out as at the Indianapolis combine. He was probably the, one of the least athletic quarterbacks you're ever going to see. But the fact that he was able to do that, I think is a Testament to his dedication, his training, his ability with the TV 12 diet to be able to keep himself thin and in great shape. And I mean, it's just, you just scratch your head. You say this guy won a super bowl with a torn MCL for the entire season. Unbelievable.
1: Let's shift to another quarterback. Number 12, John, we're still hearing people with all sorts of theories about what Aaron Rodgers is going to do this coming season. A.J. Hawk, ex-Packer, who spent a week with Aaron Rodgers recently, expects him to report to the Packers. It does feel like that's a growing sentiment, but what do you think right now as far as that goes?
2: Well, you know, I've taken a attack that I think he's going to hold out, and I, I think you now even as late as yesterday and today, I'm going to change my mind. I think he's going to be there. I mean, <clears throat> you mm. saw... As I mentioned yesterday, you know, he was at his 15th golf tournament in the last 10 days. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, he had a little bit of a press briefing and all that stuff and told people, it's like, okay, I'm going to take the next two weeks to make my decision. And so and that you figure that's going to be a a final decision. But he's been working out. And I think that uh, the players he's been around now and and maybe even the golfers he's been around are starting to get the feeling he's going to be uh, able to wanting to play for the Packers this year. Now, we'll see if he got a promise That after the season they would trade him, but uh, I don't know if they gave him. They're going to give him any kind of a contract upgrade or anything of that nature. But uh, you know, as much as we've talked about, and he's talked. No, he hasn't talked about it, but he's kind of leaked it out so much that he wants out of there. I get the feeling he's going to be there, and of course that's bad news for Seattle, bad news for the teams in the NFC North, because you know, had he not. Gone, and had he been traded, I mean, now you're talking about a Packer team that will go down to six or seven wins. Now I'm starting to think he's going to be there. You're right. It is bad news from that regard. For
0: someone like me who loves drama and likes soap opera, it's great, though, John. Because can you imagine once if they don't start out well, if they struggle, if Rodgers doesn't look as good as last year? I, I I think it's a very tenuous situation there in Green Bay. That's been one of the more solid Franchises, And the one thing I'll give them credit for, when they turn the page on Favre, they did it, man. They were just decisive about it. Th- this is, this is going to be a weird
2: time for that team. No question about it. And then on top of it, I think what people don't realize, I mean, they're getting to the point right now where this may be their last year at being at the top of the uh, at uh, the flagpole as far as talent. Because, you know, you know they've had cap problems all this year. They've had to redo seven contracts which, of course, that's not easy to do. They haven't been able to add much. They've made more subtractions than they have additions. And, of course, I mean, what... Has made Aaron mad is the fact that they've done so little at the wide receiver position. Last year, hardly adding anybody. They added Devin Funches, and of course, he opted out, and now there's a great chance that Funches, who's back this year to reduce pay, is going to get cut. You know, they had to wait till the third round to add a wide receiver, and you go for the last 10 drafts, and the first player they've taken, nine of them been on defense, and the only offensive player they've taken in the first, not first round, but the first pick has been Jordan Love. And so I think right now, you know, with uh, Devontae Adams being up next year. You know they've had to let two starters on the offensive line go in the last two years. Two really good starters. I think they're all, And you know next year, I think they're going to you know probably have to cut one of the uh, Preston Smith. Uh, at the uh, linebacker, and all they seem to do is draft defensive backs. So I think right now, you know, if, as every team knows, and we watched it with Seattle when they went through the Legion of Boom and started letting guys go there, that, you know, at some point, it catches up to you. I think this is the last year before it catches up to them.
0: He is the professor. John, we always appreciate it. We'll look forward to listening to you tomorrow morning. Yes, for, we got the John Clayton Show taking your calls.
2: Yeah, from 8 until 11. And, of course, uh, Danny, it's great to have you back. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, and of course, don't forget, it's like, uh, would it be Rob Man Fool or would it be Mob- Rob Man Fraud?
0: We got some. I think we're going with the Man Fraud. I, yeah, I think I we're like going. It. We're, yeah, ca- yeah, we're going to call yeah. him the Man Fraud.
1: Someone said Child Fred. Another person said Manfredo. I kind of like Manfredo. <laughs> oh, man-
0: Manfredo's really good. Yeah, Manfredo might be the winner. Professor, we really appreciate. Thanks, it. We look forward to talking to you next. Week. Okay, thanks. That is John Clayton. You can hear him this afternoon. Manfredo. Yeah, especially because, yeah, yeah, there's nothing, you know I'm how you make this situation, you, you, you know how you make smacked. this, this situation, where you put a little Manfredo sauce on yeah. it, Yeah, add <laughs> a little does. Manfredo sauce, uh, coming up next, we've had the Hawkskers, hold your groans, because we might have one-upped that, the MZs are next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710
1: ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I wish I could claim originality on this, but as a recovering Catholic, I have to be honest. DJ Wilder had a very funny idea when we were talking the other day about a little award show. Because, Danny, I know that back in the day you used to do something called the Hawkskers. You would get up in in a bow tie, a tuxedo... So I thought, all right, well, how do we do one for the Mariners? Because we're halfway through the year. And DJ said, well, how about the MZs? It's the 2021 MZs on 710 ESPN Seattle. This has been a fun first half of the year, so we can give some awards out for what we've seen. It hasn't been a, been a disaster. It's been solid. Right. I'm excited. This is a great idea. The MZs, I'm all aboard. It's just as corny sounding as the Hawkskers too, so it's totally on brand for me, for you. So let's start off with some of our nominees. The best breakout performance. Do we even have any other nominees other than J.P. Crawford for this one? You got to have you say on there, right? You say. We always thought he had this potential, though, right? I mean, I, I, I at least did. I, I understand he wasn't able to reach it, but you saw that, you know, the contract that he's making. Doesn't that change it up a little bit? Like, you were expecting him to be what he has been this season.
0: You were hoping it when you signed him, but he didn't do it that first year. And then the explanation coming out of it was all of the different personal challenges he faced, um, having a a, a death in his family, adjusting to a new country and all of these things. And then the second year, the results weren't that much better. But what you heard and Jerry DePoto said, like, hey, we thought he pitched better than the results he got. I came into this year thinking that this was a really difficult decision the Mariners were going to have and I think he's kind of made it easy because he's become the guy that you hoped. And I don't know how often that happens where you don't get it the first couple years and then he all of a sudden emerges into it. JP's the one that's taken the quantum leap. He's he's gone he's gone a farther distance. But Man, you say Kikuchi went from being a guy that I wondered if you were going to extend to the point where I'm going to be furious. I'm going to think that the Mariners aren't serious about winning if they don't exercise the option and add the four years and sixty, whatever it is, $66
1: million. No doubt. I, I'm with you on that page. But at the same time, who has really captivated this fan base in a way that we haven't really seen a specific player do in a really long time? And I also think there are some other people that you could put into this conversation as far as breakout performance. Chris Flexen deserves a lot of credit. The guy was in Korea last year, and he's come over this season, and he's 8-3, and three, and he's on the hill tonight. Um, after the last start that he had last Saturday, where he went, um, what? It was seven innings? Yeah. No runs? He looked really good. flexen been- has been the best find.
0: Flexen has been the best value. He hasn't been a star though, right? No, like he has JP, not. J, JP Crawford and Yusei Kikuchi have been stars for this team this year, and and Chris Flexen has been someone that I want to see here, and I want him to be part of what they're building, and I think
1: he can be a really good part of it, but he's not a star. Do you remember a moment where there was somebody that you followed for a really long period of time, and all of a sudden that actor made it big? For me. I used to watch this YouTube channel that featured Donald Glover. This was back in high school. There was this troupe called Derek Comedy, and Donald Glover always just jumped off the screen. And I remember being a big hipster fan of Donald Glover, who's also Childish Gambino. If you've ever watched the television show Atlanta on FX, it's fantastic. I I, kind of got some of those vibes with J.P. Crawford because all of a sudden this year he has jumped out to me in a way where he plays defense, the way that he hits, in a way that, Kind of is reminiscent of that. Now, I don't know if he's going to get to the same heights that we've seen with Donald Glover, but you had this moment where on July 6th, he's at the plate, and all of a sudden, the crowd just knew what to do. This this gives me goosebumps still. Go ahead, Ryan Fraley, fast runner. He's at second. They're chanting his name, JP. Gotta love it. Baseball's back at
2: Seattle, baby.
1: Full house. I've been to a couple of games since that, Danny, and I have tried to start JP Chance. It is difficult. It's one of those ones where it echoes around the stadium in just a way where it's kind of tough to get everybody on the same page to do it.
0: I'm not sure if it's Seattle or if it's that stadium or what it is. It's hard to get multi-syllable Chance going there. And it was true with Ichiro. There was always like I was like just stop just stop trying <laughs> to do the Ichiro chant because it always gets messed up. I thought it was something to do with three syllables, and that the three syllables made it tough. But I don't know. Maybe it's our sophistication. Is you're right. JP Crawford's the breakout performer. If he's the he, he's the breakout, we we award our MZ our half MZ. Uh, for for, for breakout performer. So is it an NZ since it's just half an M?
1: M because it's only e,
0: yes uh, Mz's Mz's. So yeah, uh, breakout performance goes to J.P. Crawford. Next category, best player in a supporting role.
1: This one I feel like also is re- rather obvious too. I mean, supporting role. Don't you think of the bullpen immediately? And Kendall Graveman has been the best out of the bullpen. The only, I guess, perhaps challenge. Against this would be the, you know, couple of weeks where he wasn't there. But outside of that, I mean, he's been about as reliable as possible. And, Danny, I was expressing my outrage with Kevin Cash, terrible manager who pulls Blake Snell from games for choosing Andrew Kittredge as the alternative to Yusei Kikuchi as opposed to uh, Kendall Graveman. Yesterday we brought that up with Jerry, and Jerry was very classy about it. And I was like, no, don't be classy. It should have been Kendall. Kendall should have been in the All-Star game instead of Andrew Kittredge, whatever he is.
0: Can I throw an alternative out there? I think sure. I think Graveman probably wins it. We
1: need nominees, definitely. can't pa- just be one.
0: Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald's been awesome.
1: He has, maybe because it hasn't been the whole season.
0: Right, because he came up with... Isn't that funny? He came up with Jared Kelnick. He came up on the same day as Kelnick, and we're all going gaga over Kelnick, and Logan Gilbert comes up that day, and Seawald's been tremendous. In fact, going forward... I like him as part of the bullpen going this year, not just this year and he's older. I think he's 31. I, I've really liked Seawalt. since Seawalt's come up, I think it's possible, maybe even probable, that he's been your most consistent relief.
1: I, I think that's definitely true. You know I, I'm going to throw somebody else in here because I think this is the prob- this is the proper way to look at him. What does a baseball manager do? I mean right? He supports the clubhouse what Scott Service has been able to do. And I understand some people are like, oh, he screwed up this decision. He screwed up that decision. I look at it more from the how much of a command has he had on the clubhouse? Has he known when to talk at the right times? Remember after that San Diego series where he spoke to the team? And I mean, just getting this team to be able to play the way that they have after an offseason, where I think a lot of people thought this might be a bad season for the Mariners just because of maybe some um, discontents from the players directed up towards management. So I, I think you got to put Service in the best supporting um, Mariner nominee for these MZs, too. I would agree
0: with you. I, I've, I've been blown away by Service. Service was hired to do one job, and he's transitioned to doing another. I think he's done fairly well at both. He's better with young players. He's really good with young players. And him him shaping this clubhouse and, and the mentality and watching the leaders emerge and seeing how J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford's someone that Scott Service said it before anybody else did. He's our quarterback. And he's emerged there. I, I, I think that's a great suggestion.
1: One last one. And this is another conversation as well. But I think if, if we had to pick best player, would we say... Kendall Graveman, even though we like the nominees with Seawald and with with, with Scott Service in there. Yeah,
0: yeah, because he's moved. He didn't know he had a neck issue. Right. His, ne- his neck wasn't broken, but yeah, yeah, Grave-
1: <laughs> Graveman's the best player in a supporting role. Lifetime Achievement Award slash should get a lifetime contract. There are two guys who are potentially here. First off, Kyle Seeker, because he's now playing in his 10th season. But there's also Mitch Hanniger. I, I I would like Mitch Haniger to get that lifetime achievement award, and I guess it would be also a comeback player. But this is more. I just don't want them to trade him at the trade deadline, Danny. I'm really scared about that.
0: I don't think they're going to deal him. It's Haniger. Seager started off better than he usually does. Right. Seager's not hit. I mean, Seager. It's been three months, pretty fairly consistently, of Seager not, not not hitting well. And you don't have another better player there that's that's ready to come up and emerge. But that's. That's been something that has been it's Haneger, man. Haneger's has been their best player over the course of the first half of the season. He's he's been their best baseball player. All of the different things he does. And I agree with you. I don't want to see him get traded either.
1: We will continue our award show for the first half of the Mariner season. The MZs over the course of the rest of this morning. Danny was away. Danny's got some things to say about a bunch of different things that took place over the past week and a half and Specifically one that was a very controversial topic at the beginning of the week. We'll dive into that next.
2: You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your
1: hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
0: Today is my first day back. I've been gone for about a week and a half. I thought we'd run through some of the things we've already covered. Richard Sherman, which is can best be summarized with "Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. It could have been so much worse." I I hope if this is if this is a low point for him, I hope he bounces back from exactly because this this sounds like there is there is a lot to be really worried about that went on here, and we should be grateful that no one was seriously injured.
1: That last part is the most important part. I think we all are empathetic for Richard Sherman. We all care about the guy. He has been, uh, first off, a a pillar and maybe one of the greatest Seattle sports athletes ever, but also has been just wonderful to the community here. But at the same time, it's the responsibility, his responsibility for what took place. And there does need to be some repercussions for it. And obviously, we'll see those continue to be detailed to us as time goes on.
0: The fact that no one was injured will make more possible for him to change the course of his life more quickly yes. but there is a responsibility of change because that is there there are so many like blinking warning lights of serious crisis here so hoping we, we we discussed that the second one i wanted to see is everybody still mad at stephen a smith or did that go away like stephen a got everybody fired up right because he said that Shohei Otani can't be the face of baseball because he speaks through an interpreter. Is that that uh, I'm summarizing it correctly?
1: Essentially, he said more so it's bad for baseball if Shohei Otani is the face of baseball, the main attraction for baseball. Uh, his words got twisted a little bit along the way. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I think it was a bad take. Because it was just factually inaccurate. We found audio evidence that Shohei Otani actually speaks pretty good English. So he was just factually wrong. So the entire premise of his argument, an argument about a sport that he does not talk about a whole lot, from the get-go, he's not operating, I think, (laughs) with facts. And that's not good. There's also an element, and I know a lot of people called it and
0: said it was racist. And I don't think it was racist so much as nationalist in that he— there, he might be right. He might be right that American audience wants to watch American baseball players. Right? That the most marketable... That league is based in America. It's an international sport. But that the most prominent league is based in America. And that if you're looking at it from an American audience, that they're going to want to cheer for and have the most popular... It would be best for the sport if it's an American player. I, 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 that makes me sad.
1: But that, that could be... That could be correct. Specifically for an older demographic, I think that's more th- and and that's what's interesting about it. We're talking about building a new audience for baseball. Well, the people who have always watched it are always going to watch it. They might like Otani, but they're not going to put him at the top. Otani does seem like the kind of guy who would draw younger fans in. Yes. And here's the one thing when when you go in that route, one of the mi- one of the things we always
0: tell ourselves about sports is that sports is sort of the the ultimate the it sports allows you to sort out prejudice much easier than real life does right because nothing dissolves a prejudice like like success jackie robinson when he broke the color barrier in baseball it why why did why did and that was ahead of society that was not behind society like baseball was integrated before the rest of the country was and why did that happen well, because people looked at how darn good Jackie Robinson was, and you're like, "Hey, people will say Sam Cunningham did more to integrate the South in 60 minutes when USC played Alabama than years of of because nothing dissolves at like like success." And when I heard what Stephen A said, I was like, "This kind of shows that there is a there's limits to that, right? Because Shohei Otani is an, in, I mean, he is a unique talent. He is he started the All Star game as a pitcher." He's one of the best home run hitters in Bay. He's doing something we've never seen, we haven't seen since Babe Ruth. It's one of
1: the coolest things we've seen in baseball in a really long time, yes.
0: Now, if we take that sports dissolves prejudice approach, it should be like, hey, man, even Americans are awed by what this foreign-born player can do, and it wasn't all that long ago that people wondered if a position player like Ichiro could even make it, and now he's changing the way the game's played, and instead something gets propped up, yeah, but he's not great for business. Like he's not there, – there, there is a limit to it, and I think that that's what it speaks to me, that we – there's a little bit of a lie in what we tell ourselves about sports dissolving prejudice because some of those cultural expectations and some of those – like we hold on to them. We just hold on to them in different ways. We say the face of baseball instead of he can't be one of baseball's best – he's not as marketable. And one, I love the international flavor of baseball. It doesn't bother me a lick if a player does or does not speak English. I am not hungry for more cliches. Like, I am not desperate. Like, I want my cliches unfiltered through an interpreter. By gosh, I want to hear it straight. I want to hear exactly no. the
1: answer that I was expecting straight from the player's mouth. I don't want it secondhand. I don't really care. If but. I got cliches, I kind of would want them in a different language because <laughs> I feel like I'd be getting smarter, right? Yeah, that's true. They kind of became coy like Ichiro. Ichiro's funnier, right? The stories,
0: like the athletic, had that incredible oh, story so about funny. all the things, all the things Ichiro said. Uh They're funnier, right? Because we didn't hear him speak English. And Ichiro, and unlike Otani, I've heard Otani interviewed, and Ichiro didn't speak English in interviews. Like he, he didn't. He could speak English, but he, he used an interpreter, which I, I I don't have any issue with. But that's what I thought of with Stephen A. Smith, of like. Well, what he ended up, what he, the point he was making, I don't think is that new. I think a lot of people feel that way. It makes me sad and I wish we'd get beyond that. But it also kind of points out to that lie that we have about, hey, sports, nothing will change. All you need to do to change people's minds is be successful. And it'll dissolve everything else. It's like, no, nah, it's not, it's, it is not that easy because we hold on to some things, especially those sort of nationalist tendencies. And
1: I empathize with anybody who heard that and were like, what the hell? And specifically, if you're an Asian, an Asian American, and you heard that, I could totally see why. I, I just know that looking at that, I, I don't think there was any malice intended by Stephen A. Smith. And I think that is important when we're talking about whether or not something is racist. That's, my own take on it, but I, I can't really tell you if you're in that situation where this actually is about you and people like you, how to feel on it. All I will say is I I felt like he was trying to theorize as to why he wasn't a bigger deal. And that is an interesting theory. It's just wrong because Shohei Otani actually can't speak English. And if it's correct, it's
0: sad that True. we can't get beyond sort of our national boundaries. And I, I would agree with you. That idea of someone is what it sounds like is, hey, if, if you're not if you're not an American player, we're not going to cheer for you as well when we should be cheering athletic excellence. And there's no doubt that Shohei Otani has that. I was going to get to the softest thing I've ever seen in college football. We're going to have to hold on to okay. that for a little bit. The big twelve, like the big twelve generally t- kisses Ke- Texas's butt, right? Which is weird because Texas is—no no program has won less while getting more of a national profile than Texas. If I had
1: to identify with a school in Texas, it's Texas because they're arrogant and cocky. However, they are so sensitive, and it's ridiculous. It is really weird. I mean, I've, my friends have gotten mad at me when I've jokingly done Horns Down. Like, it's a weird thing there. I don't get it. I don't get why they're well, so that, soft about it. Well, that's going to be a penalty this year,
0: which is incredibly Unbelievable. soft. Unbelievable. It is terrible. We might have to ask Michael Bumpus about that next in Blue 42.